how cute are those two? It's, oh, I just, I love it every time. <laughs> my name's Adam, I'm the Junior Youth Coordinator here, and I am so excited to be sharing with you guys tonight. Like Lance said before, we've been doing a bit of a story on Joseph over the past few weeks, and two weeks ago or three weeks ago, we had Lance start, and he had a, he had a chat about the character that Joseph had. He was saying to us about how we can learn from Joseph's character and how we can build on that. And then the week after that, Ash came and he talked about all the twists and the turns that there are in the story of Joseph. And I'm here today to wrap it up, basically. I love stories. I absolutely love stories. I love storytelling. I love hearing stories. I love sharing stories. I love watching TV shows like with stories unraveling. I love the twists and the turns, and that's the thing I love the most about this sermon series. I love that we get to take a look at some of these old stories in the Bible and delve deeper into them, really understand what was going on and see what we can learn from it. So like I said, we've been doing Joseph for a little bit, so I want to give a really quick overview of the story. I know we've done it for the past three weeks, so I've just got a few dot points. If you want to read it in more depth, you can head to Genesis chapter 37, read on right till the end of Genesis, or you can head onto our website, have a look at some of our old sermons on Joseph as well. So basically, Joseph was born, he was the 11th child to Jacob, and he was the absolute favorite. Jacob loved Joseph. He just kept giving Joseph all of these gifts, all of these great presents. He had this really cool coat of all these colors that they talked about, and he was just the absolute favorite. And I mean, his brothers probably weren't too keen on that, but worked for them. Then as the story goes on, Joseph started having all these dreams. And one of these dreams he was having was basically, um, came out to be that it was his, there's going to be a point in his life when he was going to be in a position of leadership and his brothers would be bowing down to him. Now his brothers really didn't like hearing this. They didn't like that Joseph would get up there and talk it through and be like, one day you're going to bow down to me. So what they decided to do, which I think is quite a logical option, was just sell him off. I don't know if you guys have a brother or sister, but there's definitely been times in my life that I've been like, all right, I'm going to sell my brother. He's right here in the front row. I haven't done it yet. I promise I won't do it soon, but it's definitely an option. and It's there. <laughs> But Joseph's brothers didn't joke about it. They actually did it. They threw him into a pit and they waited for someone to come by and they sold him into slavery. That's pretty rough to actually be sold into slavery from your brothers. It's got to be one of the lowest of the lows. Anyway, he then got picked up by a guy called Potiphar and he started working in his household and he slowly, his leadership skills just started shining through and he just started doing more and more things and God was blessing him in more and more ways, and soon he was almost running the household, up until the point that Potiphar's wife basically thought that, yep, I want a piece of Joseph, and she's like, I I want to sleep with him. She was literally just that keen on him that she went out of her way to try and get him into bed, and he was like, no, I'm going to be a good boy, I'm going to say no, and then she just tried to take him again, and then she took his cloak off, basically, and he ran away, and then he basically got put in jail for rape, for, for having sex with someone's wife. And then when he was in jail, he again let his leadership skills shine through. Soon he was almost running parts of the jail, not like a little gang lord within the jail, but helping out some of the guards with duties and stuff like that. And 
And he started having this opportunity to share his stories with some of the other inmates, with some of the other prisoners. And a few years later, Pharaoh had this crazy dream. And one of Pharaoh's workers was like, I know this guy that's in jail that is really good at telling dreams, at trying to interpret what they mean. So they got Joseph out of jail. It says in the Bible that it took like a day to scrub him up and get him clean to a position that he was able to actually go and speak to Pharaoh. And then when he got there, Pharaoh was like, mate, so you're the guy that interprets dreams? Yeah, and Joseph was like, no, no, no. It's not me, it's God that does this. So Pharaoh told Joseph his dream and Joseph eventually was like, okay, you're gonna have seven years of really awesome harvest. You're gonna have seven years where your crops are just gonna grow like crazy and it's gonna be all good. But then you're gonna have seven really, really tough years. You're gonna have seven years where your harvest just isn't gonna be what it was like. It's going to be pretty hard to hear that as Pharaoh, don't you reckon? It starts off so good, like, oh, six, seven awesome years, and then just, it just goes down. It's just these seven horrendous years. That's the first time Joseph then got put into an actual position of leadership with the title. He was made essentially to be prime minister of Egypt. And he was put in charge of the task force to look after the seven years of good harvest and collecting all the grain and then in the seven years where nothing much was growing, it was up to him to make sure that that was distributed equally and fairly so that everyone in the land would survive. You know, at one stage, his brothers had to come back and they realized, okay, Joseph is still alive and I've now got to ask this guy if I can have some grain from him and they ended up having to bow down to him so that dream that Joseph interpreted earlier in his story came true. And you see, this tends to be the story of Joseph that we talk about. We tend to talk about how he was born, how he was one of 11, how he was a favorite, how he had a really cool coat. We go all the way up until the time he was put in charge of Egypt and how he basically forgave his brothers and it was all good. But you see, the story of Joseph doesn't end there. It goes on. A short while after that, Joseph's brothers went up to him and they were like, I... We need a new place to live. We need a new place to stay. And so then Joseph had a chat to Pharaoh and they sorted out a nice space in Egypt that they could set up. And then it goes on and it, we get to chapter 48 and it comes to the time when Joseph's father, Jacob, is coming to the end of his life. So we're going to be reading from Genesis chapter 48 if you want to get your phones out. It's not going to be on the screen behind me because I didn't get that organized, but we'll see. <laughs> chapter 48. Sometime later, Joseph was told, your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up in his bed. Israel is another name for Jacob. Jacob said to Joseph, Almighty God appeared to me at Luz and in the land of Canaan. And there he blessed me and said to me, I am going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples and I will give you this land as an everlasting possession for your descendants. Now then your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Any children born to you after them will be yours and the territory they inherit will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. As I was returning from Paddan, to, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan. 
While we were still on the way, a little distance from Ephraim, so I buried her just on the road to what is now Bethlehem. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, who are these? They are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to him. Then Israel said, bring them to me so that I may bless them. How cool is that? A father who wasn't sure he was ever going to see his son again is now in a position where he's seeing his grandchildren and he's able to bless them. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face on the ground. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right and Israel and towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh on his left towards Israel's right hand, and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger. And crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. He then blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called my name and the names of my father, my fathers Abraham and Isaac. May they increase greatly on this earth. How cool is that? Israel or Jacob? had this blessing put on him by God that he was going to be fruitful and he was going to have a community of peoples around him and just have crazy people. And then he wanted that blessing to go on, not only to his children, but to his grandchildren as well. It became part of his legacy to see that that bloodline would be fruitful and that bloodline would constantly be looking towards God and be faithful for God. The Jacob story goes on for a little bit longer and ends with him passing away at the age of 110. And it got me thinking, what does it mean to leave a legacy that matters? What is Joseph's legacy? Do I have a legacy? Do I have to leave a legacy? What does it mean to leave a legacy? I did a bit of research. I went to trustydictionary.com and I looked up the definition of legacy. And there was was kind of two definitions and one of them I'd heard before, but the other I was a little bit surprised of because I hadn't really thought about it in that way. And that's this first definition. And that's that a legacy is a gift of of property, especially personal property as money, by will or bequest. So it's essentially like an inheritance. I was thinking about Joseph and throughout his days, he, you know, towards the end, he was prime minister of Egypt at one stage. He would have started to build up quite a bit of wealth. He would have started to build up um, a, a, a bit of a kitty that he was able to give to his kids as an inheritance. But you see, the Bible doesn't talk about the inheritance that he leaves. The Bible doesn't talk about how much money he left his children, how much property he left his children. But the Bible does as it shares us his story. You see, the second definition of a legacy is is what is passed down. So it can be like an honor. So for Joseph's kids, what they've had passed down to him was that their dad was at one stage 
prime minister of Egypt. That's pretty cool. But the other thing that they've got passed down to them is Joseph's story. And the more reading I did and the more digging I did, the more I realized that our stories are so important. You see, I think that our stories today will form our legacies tomorrow. Our stories today will form our legacies tomorrow. So let's make today count. Joseph is a great example of someone who has an epic story. A story of twists and turns, of sorrow and pain, of triumph and glory. I think there's a lot that we can learn within Joseph's story. First of all, I think that we can learn that God uses suffering for good. We read in Genesis 50 verse 20, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. This is when Joseph is talking to his brothers. And along the way, they'd done some pretty horrible things to him. They'd sold him into slavery, which led to him going into jail, being in slavery, and then just all these things that tumbled down. But throughout it all, Joseph didn't focus on the suffering. Joseph didn't focus on the pain, but he focused on God. What would it look like if we did that? What would it look like if every dark cloud of pain or suffering that came over us, if we started focusing on that silver lining? Because I reckon that silver lining is God's light behind that cloud trying to get through. What would it look like if we didn't focus on the little pains, the little things that can get us down day to day, but instead said, thank you, God, that I'm still here. Thank you, God, that you are making a difference in my life. Thank you, God, that you're a part of my story. Let God show you how he can use your suffering for good. The second thing I think we can learn from Joseph is that we should run from sin at all costs. He was in this position at Potiphar's house where he started getting some leadership stuff. He started building up his persona. He started getting to a place where he was probably doing pretty good. He got on well with Potiphar. He got on well with the staff. But then when it came down to it, he knew that he needed to do the right thing. And he literally ran away from his sin. What would it look like if we ran away from our sins? What would it look like if every day we made the decision to leave our sins here and step around? What would it look like if every day as a community of people we run towards God and away from our sins? The third thing I think that we can learn from Joseph's story is that mercy and kindness always triumph over judgment and hatred. Mercy and kindness always triumph over judgment and hatred. We read in Genesis 50 verse 21, he comforted them, these being his brothers, and spoke kindly to them. 
he spoke kindly to them. When Joseph first saw his brothers, he wasn't angry at them. That's not how it came out. He wasn't there straight away thinking, I'm going to throw these guys in jail straight away. He wasn't there thinking, I'm going to get my payback now. I'm going to get my revenge. Because mercy and kindness will always triumph over judgment and hatred. It's not always easy to be kind. It's not always easy to show mercy. But I believe it's where God wants us to be. What would it look like if we were kind to every person we came across? That annoying person at work who can't stop talking to you the whole time. That weird person on the bus who's sitting just a little bit too close to you. That teacher at school you just don't get on with that well. What would happen if we showed them kindness? What would happen if we stopped focusing on the judgment and hatred and let God shine through into that situation? So I think the underlying thing of all of these stories, I think the underlying thing from the entire Joseph narrative is that everything he's doing, he's pointing us towards God. In everything he's done, in every twist, in every turn, in every pitfall, in every high and every low, Joseph is pointing us towards God. And God's presence is a blessing. How can we let God speak into our stories so that we can point our stories towards God? How can I make today count so that my legacy matters tomorrow? My father left me a pretty amazing legacy. He passed away nearly two years ago. Still think about him every day. But he left me a legacy that matters. You see, God left, not God, Dad. God's dad as well, but yeah, anyway. Dad left me a legacy that points towards God. In the last days that I spent with Dad, he was in a lot of pain. And it was hard to be there. It was hard to watch your dad in that situation. But even through all the suffering... Even through all that pain, Dad still looked to God. There's this moment where we were sitting in the cafe at the hospital. And the whole time, we're just trying to check in on Dad, make sure he's doing okay. And he's like, no, 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 shut up, shut up. Adam, how are you? How's Mum? How's Reuben? He kept telling us that he wanted to go home. It was only later that we found out he meant to go to heaven, to be with God. 
the lasting impression, my lasting memory from my dad is that everything you have within you, you should be pointing it towards God. And that's the kind of legacy I want to leave one day. I want to leave a legacy that matters. I want my story today to influence my legacy tomorrow so that the people who hear my story can be pointed towards God. And I think if I acknowledge God in the suffering, if I let Him shine through in the pain, if I run from sin at all costs, if I let mercy and kindness triumph over judgment and hatred, hopefully I'll be doing just that. So what's your story? How are you letting God work through you right now? What's the legacy that you want to leave? Because a legacy matters. Your story matters. Because you matter to God. I believe that our stories today will form our legacies for tomorrow. So let's make today count. Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to thank you for your immense love. God, I want to thank you for stories and for the legacies that we see within them. God, I want to pray today that we can make today count. Lord, I want to pray that in everything we do, we are pointing towards you. God, I want to pray that I can see you in the pain and suffering. I want to pray that mercy and kindness will always triumph. And that we can run away from sin at all costs. Because God, it's been thousands of years and we're still talking about Joseph. His story made a difference back then and his legacy is making a difference today. So God, with your help, let's make today count. God, let's bless these people. Lord, fill us up with your love so that we can let our legacies point towards you.